0: This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Easter Monday, April 24th, 1916, began like any other sunny bank holiday Monday. Men and women across Dublin awoke to fine weather and began to plan day trips outside Dublin. The Irish Grand National was on in Ferry House Racecourse, and since the order countermanding the previous day's planned mobilisation, members of the Irish Volunteers did not expect to be called to action. One such volunteer was Joseph de Brune, a carpenter.
1: Easter Monday morning gave promise of an ideal holiday. Brilliant sunshine and warm dry weather invited one to the mountains or seaside. Turning over in my mind which I should choose as I left the house, I noticed at the corner of Seville Place, a group of volunteers in uniform. Seems like a company mobilisation, I thought.
0: Mobilisation, it was. De Bruyne was a member of B Company, 2nd Battalion, which occupied Jacob's Biscuit Factory. Jacob's was a massive fortress-like structure, surrounded by a labyrinth of small residential streets. It proved very difficult for the British to assault and, as such, saw very little action over the course of the Rising. Two tall towers provided excellent sniping positions and the garrison's main duty was to prevent troops from the nearby Portobello barracks from marching to the city centre. As B Company barricaded themselves into the factory, De Bruyne made notes in his pocket diary, the only example of a diary kept by a volunteer that survives today. Commandant Thomas Hunter told the men that the Irish Republic had been proclaimed and the rebellion was underway.
1: We relaxed. A loud cheer rang through the building some saluted others raised their guns one a recruit evidently called for spiritual ministration thinking he was going to be sent at once before his maker a tall volunteer not quite seasoned to arms during a false alarm that the british were approaching let his hot gun fall to the ground a charge was released with a report that made his comrades as well as a number of other people jump with the shock It was the first shot, though an accidental one, fired by our lot. One chap declared it nearly took the tip of his ear off.
0: What's most remarkable about De Bruyne's diary entries and subsequent witness statement is that it records in amazingly descriptive detail the routine and everyday experiences of a volunteer. He portrays evocative scenes of men at work and rest in cramped and harsh conditions with an eloquence that does not require action to engage the reader.
1: Some were dressed in full uniform, the green showing pale beneath its mist of flower in striking contrast with the civilian garb of others. The whole ensemble suggested a scene that could only be pictured by reading a description of the French Revolution, yet not near so vivid as the actual appearance of revolution presented before our gaze. It was a memorable scene in this dimly-lit factory with its vast machinery shrouded with dust-wraps carefully placed by the workers where they left off on the previous Saturday. It was now about dusk and the shadows were beginning to glimmer.
0: The men's first night was less than comfortable as they adjusted to life under fire.
1: The inclination to sleep wore away after a while on the hard floor. Most of us had visions of blankets and snug mattresses. And then there was something uncomfortably threatening about that big chimney shaft. Suppose said Pat Callan. A shell struck it and the damned thing crashed. It was most improbable at this stage it would occur, but the thought was disconcerting. The heat was telling on us. We were half-dozing already. After a while of fitful sleep I was called to guard duty.
0: The week wore on, and as the garrison settled into their stronghold, conditions became more comfortable with the arrival of bedding and other items foraged from the surrounding area.
1: After nights lying on the tiled or metal floors, the strenuous exertion erecting defences, exciting rushes to attention, the men reclined, smoked, read and chatted. Some wrote diaries of events to date. This was real relaxation. Every man came away from it refreshed in body and mind. The luxury of washing one's feet in a bucket, a new pair of socks, a pair of new boots and we felt we could march to the Wicklow hills and fight every inch of the way if necessary. A piano was strummed occasionally in an upper portion of the building in contrast with the rifle fire. The bookcase in the library was broken open and pillaged. I can distinctly remember the interest evoked by quotations from Julius Caesar.
0: Much of the action of Easter week was experienced from afar. Though constantly on the alert and engaged in military duties, The volunteers at Jacob's were isolated from the action and news of the rising's progress across the city.
1: The heavy guns of the British were in action. A red glare appeared in the sky. The general post office was on fire with incendiary shells. I could see the sky illuminated through the window whilst on night watch. The general attack was developing. What the result would be, none then knew. The night watch in this corridor from the front gate to the machine room was a lonely vigil before dawn. Gunfire had ceased for a while. With the exception of the interchange of a sniper, silence reigned. Watching the red glare in the sky, the burning city was to my rear. I glanced at the loaded Lee-Enfield rifle. That sharpened bayonet reminded me of the frightfulness. I suppose many a soldier has ruminated on similar thoughts. Well, what the hell were we fighting for in any case? Can this damned thing called freedom not be achieved in any other way? I was getting vexed. The red glow answered with a deeper hue. A burst of new gunfire announced the dawn. The attack had recommenced. It was now Thursday morning.
0: The main action De Bruyn saw during the week was an abortive mission across the city to attempt to relieve Eamon de Valera in Boland's Mills. Around 20 men took off on bicycles.
1: It was the early morning and it was with a feeling of exhilaration I dropped the smell of the stuffy factory. The weather was ideal. I thought of the proposed holiday that might never come off. On a morning like this, any adventure could be attempted. Perhaps that is why attacks start so fiercely at dawn. This feeling seemed to permeate the men.
0: The group was stopped at Mount Street by a detachment of the British Army. After a brief gun battle, the men retreated and encountered more fire as they crossed St Stephen's Green to return to Jacobs. A bullet fatally wounded one man as he rounded the corner to safety. Back in the relative normality of Jacobs, life confined in the factory continued as normal.
1: I had grown a stubble of beard I was anxious to remove. I was rejoiced to find a comrade who possessed a new safety razor. He lent me the instrument, which I still possess as a souvenir. I removed the surplus hair and incidentally removed sections of my chin as well. It was the first and last time I used a safety razor.
0: On Sunday came news of the surrender. Joseph de Brune's Easter Rising had come to an end. Some men escaped and others were arrested and interned by British forces.
1: The factory was then taken over by a detachment of the Dublin Fusiliers and by a curious coincidence as one brother left the factory in the Republican ranks, another marched into it in the uniform of the British Army.
0: In the confusion, de Bruyn's diary was left behind, where it was found the following week by a factory worker. The diary now exists alongside a statement to the Bureau of Military History as de Bruyn's legacy. It is an illustration of what could be viewed as unremarkable and routine, but is in fact a fascinating historical document. For more on Joseph de Brune and other less well-known stories from this interesting period in Irish history, visit www.storiesfrom1916.com. Thanks for listening.